family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Yet another one of those days, Jesse Rubinoff. This is Tim and Friends for February 2nd, 2022. 2-2-22. That's got to be good luck I didn't somewhere. That. Not here, but it's got to be good luck somewhere. Tim and Jesse Rubinoff here with you on Groundhog Day. But it's kind of sort of felt that way for about two years now. And just to prove the Groundhog Day is a bunch of horse bleep, Shubinakati, Sam, Shubinag. Shubinakati, 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 Shubinakati. Sam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. That, that was, was it? it? That was it. The end. Shubinakati. There you go. Shubinakati, Sam. It's not easy. Shubinakati, Sam, in it's Nova Scotia. Uh, <laughs> my favorite name for any of these things. <laughs> Fred Lamar Mott in Quebec predicted a long, cold winter ahead. Fred Lamar Mott. I love that. Well, in Ontario, of course, my friends, Wyerton Willie flipped the claw and said it's an early spring to both of them. It can be different, though, yes, right? big. That's in huge. Nova Scotia, yeah. Ontario, and Quebec? Of course. So, well, of course. Maybe not necessarily complete and utter like joy? hypocrisy. Yes. Joy? No, no, I'm saying that the three different oh, yeah. provinces okay. had different reactions from their... Groundhog. Groundhogs on yeah. Groundhog Day makes sense because it's different areas. Yeah, yeah. I know like we're getting here in Toronto. What? How much snow are we expecting today? Like the weather's different in different places. Right. Seasons come. Of course. Different times. Different so, climates. So Shubinakity. 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 Nice. Sam can say whatever the hell he wants. Exactly. Fred Lamont might say something completely different. Yes. And your boy Wyerton Willie might just say yeah. whatever. They don't Trevor. apply to us. Yeah. 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 I'm in South Bruce. Yeah. All right, uh, I just hope we get a spring so I can do stuff. Like, like now? No, just period. I want to do stuff. Oh, like a spring. In, yeah, see, I got it. Yeah, so I can do All right, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, we are doing stuff today on the show. Charles Oakley. Shubinakity. Shubinakity. Yes. Yeah, I got it after a while, Kenny. The mastodon is. There's a, there's a provincial park there, too, right? Wildlife park. A wildlife park. Ken Reed, just, Ken Reed, who represents the East at all times, Burst in the studio he just, and said, Shubinakity, but I got it after a while. You're on a delay. Uh, no, I heard you. It took me a couple seconds. Shubinakity Sam. It, yeah, it's where, the, it's where you stop to get gas and get Dairy Queen and you go to Farmer's. Oh, is there a Dairy Queen there? You know it. It's outside of Toronto on the highway to Halifax. Nice. There's a mastodon on the highway. A mastodon? Yeah, it's at 45 degrees latitude. Okay, about an hour, okay? Okay. Good to see you, Kenny. There's Ken Reed. Well, now you have a topic for when he comes on the show. I thought sure that was my notes. I was, I was coming quite into nervous. the studio. Yeah, I was quite nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. Uh, Kenny's one of the few that will. I always say that it's like an open door policy. Ken Reed is like the only dude yes. who will do that. Yeah. Just storm into the studio. And frankly, I love it. Uh, Charles Oakley on today's show. Raptors and Nick Legend, NBA tough guy, now an author. He joins us for a conversation that you don't want to miss. Elliot Friedman on a pretty lively rumor mill in the NHL right now. As mentioned, Kenny Reed in about an hour. Kenny now walking in. Hey, look, look, they're bringing the notes. Kenny Reed's bringing the notes and running out. There he is. Wonderful performance. And then awesome. you don't have to leave the seat, which is perfect. Because you know when, when you leave the seat, I freak out sometimes. You know what? Today, yeah, 
Kenny can bring his trophies. Yeah. The trophies are welcome. Already when, here. When you, we might give him another trophy yeah. for what he just did. Uh, he'll stop by for his semi-regular Wednesday appearance here on the show. And James Sharman, ahead of what could be yet another installment of the greatest story in world football right now, and that story is Canada. They're in San Salvador tonight hoping to play a game which gives them a chance to incredibly book their spot in the 2022 World Cup. Now, it's a slim chance, but Lloyd Christmas, yes, I am telling you, there is a chance. If Canada wins, Costa Rica has to lose or tie in Jamaica. Mexico has to beat Panama. And the tough one, the states have to lose to bottom of the standings, Honduras. Although I will say this, they're playing in Minnesota tonight where it's expected to be around minus 20 at kickoff, minus 30 with the wind chill. There's a wind chill warning in the area. It'll be a little bit warmer in San Salvador, Canada, El Salvador, Sportsnet 1, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 in Coquitlam if they play. That's right, for the second straight day. We have some breaking news just before we hit the air, hence the need for Kenny Reed to run in my notes last second. Today, the players on El Salvador released a statement saying that they weren't going to play the game tonight. Now, this was about 30 minutes before we hit air. Two things happen way too much in international football. One, the federations of a lot of smaller countries rip off their players, and two, those players' only recourse is to say that they're not going to play. If they don't play, Canada, we think, would walk over, which would be a 3-0 final if they just go on the pitch and play the ball once. Now, about 15 minutes after <laughs> the original news came out that they weren't going to play, we got more news and I quote in some of the notes that I was just brought, we're going to play. Okay, so that's not a direct quote, but Uncle Timmy's Spanish needs to be shined up a wee bit. Canada and El Salvador now on, apparently. You can see it if it's played on Sportsnet 1 at 8.30 Eastern time, or Canada gets three points in a walkover, and we air Jesse finally getting up to dance to see if his feet can actually move while he's dancing, we'll do that for just two and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, if that happens, I will do it. Sorry? I'll, I'll, two and a half hours? I can do Sure. Has, have you... Have Dub, you, write that have down. You I, was, that? I, was, I was thoroughly cheering for El Salvador to get their well, money you don't make the, and play today. You can write down all you want. We don't make that call. We don't decide what goes on TV. Right? You just said you'd do it. Uh, yeah, sure. If they want to broadcast that, sure. Write it down. Look at the backpedaling immediately. <laughs> like, that is the quick. You, Jalen Ramsey over there. It's quick. It's in quick. the backpedal. Yeah. In a hurry. Yeah. Jam, jam at the line. Jam at the line. And then quick, quick feet. We all know it would be misplays of the month. Anywho, <laughs> speaking of Canada, uh, we have a pair of flag bearers for the openings. A pair of flag bearers for the opening ceremonies in Beijing as the Canadian Olympic Committee announced that Marie-Philippe Poulain and Charles Amelin will lead Canada into the stadium to kick off the games. At first, I thought this was a PC, can't make a tough decision, so let's just pick one man and one woman. And then I started looking at it, and they're both remarkably qualified. If you watch the show, you already know what I think of the woman that they call Pooh. I think she's the 
ish. Boo the ish. And Adam Lang competing in his fifth Olympics. He has five Olympic medals, putting him one short of the Canadian record of six held by Cindy Klassen. So upon further review, there is no foul on the play for avoiding a tough decision in the name of political correctness. We will replay the down. I'm good with the split. Very good. I'm also good with kicking off first things first with my friend Jesse Rubinoff. So. He's now praying that El Salvador makes it <laughs> on the pitch. What will it be, Frank Bukowski? All right, Uh, we begin with not El Salvador, no, but the Raptors. Another gritty victory by those Toronto Raptors last night, led by another 30-plus point game from Gary Trent Jr. The Raps beat the Heat for the third straight win. Tim, we wondered what exactly this team was all season and could be. Is it time to take the Raptors seriously in the Eastern Conference? I don't know, but I do know this. That's a really bleeping impressive win. How what they've done over the last five games. They've won four of their last five, playing those five in eight days. And now they're ahead of teams like the Hawks, the Celtics, and the Knicks in the East, all picked before the season to absolutely dust Toronto. And while that should be damning to those franchises and those teams, that would lose the plot. The plot is the Raptors whose culture carries. And if this team was in any one of those three markets, the American media would have to call a doctor after four hours of discussing just how in the name of Mamadou Njai the Raptors are doing this again. Like if this was New York or Boston, all you would be hearing about is how their culture, their work ethic, their coach, their GMs, both of them, or the second coming of Pat Riley or Red Arbach, or Masai might be the best executive in all of sports. Like, if they won't put some respect in the Raptors' name, we damn well will, because oh, what yeah. they're doing right now is jaw-dropping. Well, uh, one theme that we've been hitting on through the entire season is that the Eastern Conference is not the Eastern Conference of old. They are all good teams, but we are unsure to this point who is great in the Eastern Conference. Yes, the Bucks won last year, the defending champions. They're still a good team when they're all healthy. There are good teams. But as the Raptors just proved, despite the Heat not having Kyle Lowry, they just went out and beat the Heat in three nights, twice in three nights. And what was the triple overtime? What Nick Nurse has done here, he has identified what his winning formula is. Agree or disagree with the process of playing guys 40 minutes a night. Whatever he has found here is working. And the ceiling for this team when they are performing like this, I think, is high. You asked me a couple weeks ago, I think it was, could they be top six? I said yes. Could they be top five? I said yes. And I don't think that these results, if anything, they've strengthened that case. Now they just need the conversation to shift to what can they add to then continue that upward trajectory. Yeah, and I think that's an add-on, right? Yes. That is taking Goran Dragic's money and adding a significant piece so those players that you're talking about don't have to play those minutes. But what you've seen this year is that the core on this team might be good enough that there's no rebuild here. Yeah. That they just walk into the next evolution of this team. And we've seen it now with... Fred Van Vliet going from undrafted to maybe all-star. We've seen it from Pascal Siakam 
being later first round pick to all-star yep. and Gary Trent Jr. is the latest in that evolution and what he's doing right now is unbelievable it's just another one of the like teams that draft repeatedly in the lottery are looking for players like Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, mm-hmm. OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. and the Raptors have cultivated four Scotty Barnes if you want to put into the mix maybe five of those depending on where Scotty ends up I mean this is what every one of those terrible franchises all around National Basketball Association are attempting to do but can't mm-hmm. we're going to talk to Charles Oakley a little later on in the show the Knicks drafted in the lottery year after year after year and the Raptors are ahead of them and have none of those lottery picks. Never mind the Sacramento Kings or all those other teams, of the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, even the Charlotte Hornets, like how many times were they terrible and just in the lottery, in the lottery, in the lottery, and the Raptors got one in the lottery, right? Yeah. Like it's crazy what they have been able to do with, what little they have had in terms of prospect capital and lottery picks up until the last little while. I mean, this changes things for the Raptors, knowing what they, what they have in Gary Trent now. Because what do I, you think you have? What you think you have, what you've seen particularly over the last uh, five games. The difference and, between good and great is consistency. I yes. want to see it a little bit more, but yes, his offense and moreover his defense mm-hmm. it makes I, you feel like there's 100%. something different here. What, when I... Uh, he was on the show about nine months ago in one of his first interviews that he did when he became a member of the Raptors. And, and you would ask him, like, what he learned from his time in Portland. And one of the things that caught me when I, I went back and watched it, uh, just what he learned from Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, the, the professionalism. And I think we've seen that in his growth as a basketball player, particularly this year. Like, he wasn't a great defensive player when he was in Portland. Maybe he didn't get the opportunity, but now he has shown what no, he can do. He wasn't even a good defensive player do. last year. Yeah, he has shown what he can do defensively and now you are seeing the growth offensively as well so he is he is all business and that fits right into the culture that you speak about and it's a gift when you consider the trade to get him because I know that's something that you tweeted out last night and I think it's something worth revisiting because it now looks unbelievable for the Raptors well remember what I was just saying about Masai Ujiri here might be the greatest of all the Masai Ujiri moves and remember he got rid of Andrea Bargnani (laughs) So the Gary Trent Jr. trade tree, I don't know if all rights are reserved to Steve Dangle, but this is the trade tree that we're looking at today. It was Grievous Vasquez set to become a free agent. So the Milwaukee Bucks had him for less than six months. And what came back were two picks, a 2015 second rounder and a 2017 lottery protected first rounder through the Los Angeles Clippers. The Raptors turned that into Norm Powell and OG Ananobi. <laughs> After five and a half years of Norm Powell, they traded him to Portland for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. So what you got for six months or less of Gravis Vasquez was OG Ananobi, five and a half years of Norm Powell, and Gary Trent Jr. Dear God. Yeah. <laughs> 
This is going to end up in the in the pantheon of Maasai moves when it's all said and done. I think probably Kawhi bringing him here is always going to be number one just based on what happened. They won a title. But that one is going to be up there, you'd think, based on what we've seen from Gary Trent. Yeah, and I can't, I can't wait to see if Gary Trent can continue this. Like, I'm not ready to say he's that dude mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. because some of those numbers are a little too high. They're a little too hard to sustain. Yeah. Like, what he's shooting from the floor and what he's shooting from three. But it, it appears as though they've got themselves something real. And when you put your name in this kind of category, <laughs> players mm-hmm. in NBA history with 30-plus points, five plus threes in five straight games. It's just James Harden, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Gary Trent Jr. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And uh, that trade tree just gives you confidence that Masai will somehow be able to augment this roster as we move forward here and make them even better as we get to the trade deadline and further. Uh, All right, let's go to hockey now. Five Canadian teams in action last night and the only two and only two came away with victories. The Leafs with a dominant 7-1 win over the Devils to extend their win streak to five games, while the Flames were in a 3-1 hole before mounting Great comeback. a very impressive comeback, scoring three goals in less than four minutes late in the third to pull out the victory. Tim, the Leafs and Flames are the only two Canadian teams holding down a playoff spot right now. That's not good. Let's set the over-under at two and a half. How many Canadian teams will end up making the playoffs? Is it more than two and a half? I'm taking less? the over. I'm taking the over, and I think it's the Leafs, the Flames, and the Oilers who make the playoffs. All the Oilers need to do is get some consistency from their goaltending, I think, and they'll be in the postseason. And I also think the Canucks and Jets have a chance. Mm -hmm. Like, I am not writing off either one of those teams. Like, if you gave me that over and under at a book right now, I would put some significant money on that. I'm not convinced of the Ducks or the Kings being good. I think they can be chased down from behind. Now, there is some significant chasing that needs to be done, but when you look at the games in hand, those Canadian teams should make up some ground. There is a big caveat, though. We're about to see some serious stretches from a lot of the Canadian teams making up ground in this, or what was supposed to be, this Olympic break. And that might wear down some of these teams and may end up altering what we see at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly unfortunate. But I'm with you. I I think it is the Leafs, the Flames, and the Oilers. And part of the reason is when I look at the divisions, too, the Central just seems like it's better than the Pacific at this point in time, which means that if you're chasing the wildcard spots and that third or maybe even second spot in the division, it seems more plausible that the Oilers or Flames would be able to catch someone in the Pacific division as opposed to uh, the Jets in the Central, which I think is going to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, Edmonton will play eight games in 13 days, and Winnipeg will play eight games in 14 days, both starting on February 8th. So that's the tough stretch that I'm talking about. Definitely. Uh, okay, we go to a developing story that broke as we were live on the air yesterday. Tim alluded to it off the top. Former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores is suing the NFL and three teams, the Dolphins, Broncos, and Giants, alleging they discriminated against him in the hiring process. Included in the suit are text messages from Bill Belichick congratulating him on landing the Giants job. Flores had, of course, yet to interview with the team, and instead the Giants were set on hiring Brian Dable. Earlier today, Flores went on CBS Mornings to talk about the lawsuit. I understand the risk, and yes, it was a difficult decision, and I went back and forth um, 
And like I said, I, I, I'm, I love coaching. I do. Um, it's something that um, I'm passionate about. It brings me joy. Um, and I love helping young people reach their potential and become the best versions of themselves. I'm gifted to do that. Brian. Um, but this is bigger than, than that. We didn't have to file a lawsuit for, for the world to know that there's a problem from a, from a hiring standpoint in regards to minority coaches in the National Football League. The numbers speak for themselves. Right. Uh, we filed the lawsuit um, so that we could create some change. Um, and that's important to me. I think we're at a fork in the road right now. You know, we're either going to keep it the way it is mm-hmm. or we're going to go in another direction and actually make some real change where um, we're actually changing the hearts and minds of those who make decisions to hire uh, head coaches, um, executives, etc. So as we discussed yesterday, this story was obviously just breaking before the show. And uh, being honest, we, we didn't have the time to read everything in the lawsuit, obviously, or fully process the entire story. Uh, human beings trying to digest a story like yeah. this on the fly and on the air. All that being said, after allowing some time to digest the story, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to go through immediately when we got off the air was to figure out the Leslie Frazier angle. There were reports out there that uh, Leslie Frazier and Patrick Graham had interviewed with the team, which would contradict the idea that the Rooney rule um, was ha- somehow circumvent circumvented Mm -hmm. however upon further review um two things happened the giants interviewed leslie frazier uh via zoom that does not satisfy the rooney rule you have to bring the candidate in so that they are actually in front of you and graham is in the organization which also doesn't satisfy the rooney rule which is meant to get men in front of you so that you have conversations that you not, wouldn't normally have with minority candidates. So for those wondering how the Rooney Rule was circumvented, that's, those are the facts. That's what's behind this. And you and I kind of had a conversation. You would think that his lawyers would know that right. and whether or not they would file this if they knew that. Obviously, they knew that and that those rules uh, weren't satisfied and that's why this was launched. Yes. But real talk, and which is what I hope this show always is, mm-hmm. like, we all realized they had to impose a rule that you had to talk to minority candidates because not enough minority candidates, one, were being hired, but two, were even being talked to, despite the fact that the league is predominantly minority and or black. That in itself admits a failing, does it not? Yeah, I mean, just look at the facts. There's zero black owners. There's one black head coach now in Mike Tomlin, and it's, what, it's 70% of the players in the league are black? But just, if you have to impose a rule to force people to talk to minorities. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can argue that. <laughs> well, but there's people out there attempting to argue it. Yes. You and I talked about how it was going to be hijacked. But real talk, just having the rule in place admits a failing of the league, never mind the fact that there's only one black head coach. Mm-hmm. Now, black general managers, they've made serious inroads yeah, there. Yeah, And... You could point to that and say, well, there's a few of those. There are, I believe, six black general managers, which is 19%. 
the league is still 70% black, but there's some inroads there. Yep. And all everyone's saying is, can't believe this. Shocking information. Unbelievable. And if you talk to anyone in football, none of this is shocking. Not one bit of it. No. And I think that's why he is making it as public as he's making it, because he wants to inspire more change when it comes to exactly what we just discussed. Um, so we'll see how this story develops. Obviously, it will develop over the, ne- the course of the next few uh, weeks and months. I'm sure. Uh, quickly before we go to break, Washington Commanders. Yeah, your day. Yeah. Should have left it the football team. It's a big L. Big L. Did you see how a helicopter? Unbelievable. In? The zoom is really, really good. We'll, we'll tweet it out so yeah. people can see it. But <laughs> expert Washington football team can't get anything right, including naming their new team. The Commanders. Nobody likes it. Nobody. I can't wait for their head coach to be Tom. Commander <laughs> Tom. I don't know. That's an old deep reference. Still to come, Charles Oakley joins us with some stories from his new book. That's right. Charles Oakley is an author. Ken Reed, also an author. Numerous books. Hour number two. We'll see what props he brings in today. Brought my notes. So he's a savior. And Elliot Freeman with the latest buzz in the NHL. Also, 26 years in the making, Canada's men's soccer team of qualifying for the World Cup. We'll tee up what the hell's going on in El Salvador with James Sharman next. It's a hump day. Let's go. Here comes Levo. It's a two-on-one. Shillington out of the box. Gets it across to Anderson. Shillington scores! Shillington out of the penalty box to the back of the net. And the Flames go on top four to three. I've lost count, but that's five, six, or seven perfect passes. That is absolutely beautiful. To Trent Jr. Going to work on Tucker. The three. Oh! Gary Trent Jr. He's on fire! Oh, we got to get that! We got to get that! The tickets are booked, but the reservations are about to be made. Canada with a chance to qualify for Qatar on Wednesday night. Now is the time to dream big. Here is the stage. Embrace the spotlight and be noticed. Davies across. It's Kyle Lahren. He scored again. Canada scored an utterly brilliant goal. What a moment. Another small step on the road to the World Cup. Davies inside. Asuria! Oh, so good. I don't know how else to say this, but we have a lot of balls. Alfonso Davies. Are you kidding me? Individual piece of brilliance, Alfonso Davies! Stacchio. Good ball, touchdown! Sensational! They are not fortunate to win these matches. They are dictating them. And they're going toe-to-toe with the Giants of CONCACAF. Look at that control! Jonathan Davies! Turning in and our football country again, man. Goosebumps, just goosebumps. Laren just lethal and now legendary. Mr. He's gonna take it himself.
We got a captain! The tickets are booked, but the reservations are about to be made! Canada with a chance to qualify for Qatar on Wednesday night. What a run it's been. So many moments, and now the Canadian men's soccer team on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup for just the second time in history. First time since 1986. That's 36 years for the math majors outside of this room. Screwed it up before the break. Uh, it could happen with a win tonight and a lot of help. Canada takes on El Salvador. Probably. Seems like you can see it on Sportsnet 1 with pregame coverage starting at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. Okay. The reason why I say probably, if it happens, as we told you earlier in the show, El Salvador's team threatened not to play today, claiming a dispute with the Federation over unpaid bonuses and treatment. But then, about 30 minutes after we saw that news break, the team reversed course and, as of right now, say they are playing Never a dull moment in CONCACAF. Here to discuss is my friend and yours, Sportsnet analyst, host of the Footy Prime podcast, and Pie Man, it's James Sharman. What's going on, Charms? Uh, man, what a CONCACAF afternoon it was, eh? <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so let's explain this for the average Canadian sports fan and maybe uh, the person just jumping on the bandwagon of international football. This isn't the first time we've seen a story like this, no matter how weird it seems. No, I mean, the sad part is often uh, prior to big matches and within tournaments even, uh, smaller nations um, often get embroiled in, in fights with their confederations and their federations. And it's because a lot of these federations are mismanaged. There has been corruption, of course. You know, CONCACAF's been mired in that with the Jack Warner era, thankfully behind us now. But there are some, you know, remaining people who are probably quite uh, big fans of Jack Warner. Now, with this particular situation, you know, we don't know the actual details. It regards money and bonuses, the usual issues. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of these uh, federations are not run by good people. And they make a lot of promises to their players that don't always come through. So uh, El Salvador, unfortunately, um, are, are, you know, involved in such an issue and a fight with their federation. They were told things that haven't come to fruition. And here we are now that they, they threatened to pull out. But thankfully, they, they're going to play. They're going to play, they say, because of their families and the game itself. You know, they have respect for that. So, you know, that, that's a good thing, I suppose. But you do wonder, you know, where the hearts will be in tonight's match. Without a doubt. Like, that, that part, listen, um, that part of this equation feels like this is a... a a breaking story that could affect the result of this game. Like, how hard will these guys play if at the last hour they had to get some sort of promise of payment or some sort of Western Union? <laughs> like, what happened here <laughs> that they... I, I had heard, James, yeah. that they were buying their own clothes in Columbus when they played the United States because it was freezing there and the Federation had nothing for them. Yeah, and it's so sad because it's a very proud footballing nation, right? Yeah. And the team itself is is a lot better than people think. Uh, Hugo Perez is a good coach, a respected coach. You know, they, they play some good football. Um, but, you know, they're, they're likely not going to qualify. But if they are, they have to win tonight. They have to play the game tonight. Had this game been cancelled, they would have forfeited. And that would have given Canada a 3-0 win, you know, which Canada, I'm sure, would be quite happy about in some regards. But, you know, how sad a way for El Salvador to see their World Cup qualification campaign come to an end it's it's just sad we, we see it all the time you know 
at the World Cup in November, we're going to see it again. You guarantee it. You'll see it again for some nations, you know, have been promised certain things, um, who are, you know, run like an amateur organization. It's, it's really sad. And I think in many ways it should make Canadian fans realize that things haven't been quite as bad as some nations, right? And yeah. that's important. Yeah. Obviously, we're enjoying this great generation at the moment, but, you know, very rarely in my memory that we ever threatened to, to cancel and boycott matches, right? So it could always be worse. Yeah, and, and usually you see it with teams that aren't going to move on. And the Federation was thinking, well, if they move on to the knockout stage, we're going to get this amount of money so we can promise this. And then they pull it back once they realize they're not getting through. And the players say, okay, well, if, if you're pulling it back, we're not going to play. Uh, let's move on, though. Uh, Canada without Davies, unless you include his Twitch channel, which has been really entertaining throughout this. But it looks like Steven Estacchio is in El Salvador. We don't have lineups as of yet. What's your overall look at this game for Canada? Yeah, I'm listening. Canada's a better team than El Salvador. They beat them 3 0 at home, um, got two early goals. Um, there will be changes tonight, three games in seven days, lots of rotations. Steven Vittoria, who, who's been fantastic in this qualifying campaign, he's suspended, he's out. Uh, you mentioned the Astacchio. I'm assuming the fact that he's made this, this trip to El Salvador, I'm sure he'll play at some point today. And of course, Atiba, who has suspended the last match, should get in there as well. So you'll see some changes. I, I wonder if you might see Ike Ugbo get a start, his first start for Canada up front. Mm. Um, a, a good player who's just um, agreed to play for Canada. He's got four or five appearances now. Um, and with Laren and David playing so much football the last uh, week or so, you might see him get a chance. That'll be interesting. So it, it's fascinating. Like you mentioned uh, in that piece, it's possible they could qualify tonight to me. Um, listen, I, I, I'm not a big gambler per se. Um, I have lost money on a few parlays. And if you break down that parlay, you know, I don't see it happening tonight. But you never know, right? Yeah. I think the way it works out, yeah, here you have it right here. You know, if Canada beats El Salvador, the States lose to Honduras in Minnesota, by the way. It was minus 19 there today. So Honduras aren't going to win that game. Panama loses to Mexico and Costa Rica loses to Jamaica. Canada could be qualifying, in which case, big party in, in, in Canada, I'm sure. But uh, I think we need to wait until the next window for, to really enjoy that and, and, and see that happen. I want to walk that road for a second. But before we get there, the Vitoria thing on the dumb... Uh, two yellow card rules you're suspended for the next game even though they've already played 10 games so accumulating two yellows in 10 games uh, isn't all that hard to do Uh, but Canada doesn't have the depth in the back line that they do up front how big a loss is this you know what um listen Vittoria's been great I'm not sure he would have played three games in in seven days anyway You know, he has some, some knee issues, some ankle issues. Um, and as much as, you know, he would be a guaranteed starter normally, they have got some depth there in, in Kamal Miller, who hasn't played both games. He played the last game. He, he's very good for Montreal. And Scott Candy, who, who was injured last window, but was outstanding that first match. So they have got options at the back. But obviously, Victoria leads, you know, with, for example, he, he's a leader on that team. Um, great on set pieces as well. So... He, he would be missed, yeah, but I'm just not, not sure he would have started regardless. So we're going to see the depth of these lesser-known defenders for, for Canada, but lesser-known defenders that have really done a very good job so far. All right, so a great man once told me, before you know where you're going, you have to know where you've come from. It's a lyric from Maestro Fresh West. So before we, uh, we break down what might happen, what's your reaction just overall, Sharms? You've been around this for a long time. The first 10 of 14 qualifying games, like... Did you ever think we would be in a spot to roll 
the group of highlights that we showed coming into this segment with you. Like it was memory yeah. after memory. It is. It's just moments, right? Iconic moments. You know, and when they qualify, they'll be iconic moments. Uh, you know, from Adakubi's dive into the snow to Fonzie's goal, David's goal. It's been a, a wonderful campaign. No one foresaw them bossing this region. I think think some of us saw, you know, certainly being contention to qualify for a World Cup, given how CONCACAF is in some decline. But the way they've done it has been brilliant. But I, I think it's really important to kind of have a bit of a nod to the past. I know we seem to be defined by by that 8-1 result, right, in, in yeah. Honduras. And it's mentioned all the time and how awful Canada was. You know, Canada has, has some pretty good teams in the past. 97, they came very close. 94, they came very close. They've been victims of some awful refereeing and some CONCACAF shenanigans on numerous occasions. So as much as we should embrace and celebrate this current generation and this run, I, I think we should realize that we weren't dreadful before. You know, I know it's been a long time since qualifying for a World Cup, but there's some really good players in those teams who won a trophy in 2000, the Gold Cup. It was a good team. So I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, make fun of the past. And I think that's really unfair to those players and those coaches. Um, they weren't that bad. But, you know, this is obviously brand new. This is a new Canada. Obviously, yeah. enjoy it. But but let's not make fun of that that 8-1 because I'm just sick and tired of talking about it, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think that, class, for me at least, that 8-1 classifies, it, it kind of encapsulates the heartbreak where every time Canada got close, it was some sort of heartbreak. And that 8-1 yeah. was like the personification of all of that heartbreak in one little bite-sized piece. But uh, I may be guilty of what you just said. The, the only other thing that I want to talk to you about is if, in fact, Canada books that trip to the World Cup tonight or otherwise. Like, I've been thinking about the average Canadian sports fan and how they have no idea what they're in for with the World <laughs> Cup. Is there a way to describe what a World Cup is like to just the average Canadian sports fan when you have a vested interest? Well, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> Says the English guy. <laughs> You're asking yeah. the wrong guy here. You know? well, I, I don't think of World Cups. So listen, I, I love international soccer. I, I love World Cups. But most of my memories are of nothing but heartbreaking tears. You know, it's, it's getting better, I think, with England to a certain degree. But no, it's a wonderful, wonderful occasion. Even the build-up, you know, we'll, we'll get to a point, guys, where we start getting really nervous when we're seeing our players play for their clubs. Don't right. get injured. Fonzie, you know, slow down for Bayern Munich. Don't go too far in the Champions League. You know, please calm down. You know, it's in November, right? So they'll have the summer off and then they'll be right in their club seasons when it kicks off this time around. So uh, we'll be nervous about that. Um, it's just an incredible occasion, right? You know, it, I personally, like yourself, Timmy, will just absorb himself in, in the tournament um, it, it's a wonderful thing. And I do wonder with Canada when they get there, what pressure there will be on them because there'll be a team that is now one of the, the pretenders, so to speak. There'll be a good story, I think, in many ways. But, uh, you know, having just got there, I, I think will really satisfy a, a lot of fans and perhaps the rest is just gravy. I'm really fascinated to see how, how the nation feels about that. Yeah, and here's what I think the average fan that doesn't soak in soccer as much as you do or a step lower I do is that, all of the things that you rip soccer about, like the diving and uh, the low scoring, those are the very things that keep you on the edge of your seat for the full 90 minutes of play because there's always, a, especially with Canada and the, and the talent that they have up front, like you see a one nothing game, this is, they're going to have a shot in every one of these games 
or you know I mean they might yeah. get blown out but the, the low scoring part is you always got a chance and that's you're, what keeps you on game. the edge of your seat you're, you're right to me yeah. you know, you'll, you'll watch a match and it'll be a horrible experience and you'll you'll hate every second of it but there'll <laughs> yeah. be one moment yeah. one moment right and now it's a classic it's the greatest sporting occasion of your life you know right. it's incredible uh Sharm's always great talking footy with you thanks for doing this man anytime mate Chesley. uh there is James Sharman Sportsnet analyst, host of Footy Prime, the podcast, wherever you get your fine podcasts. And, of course, uh, Shaman's Pies. Pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah. All right. I uh, just wanted to mention that today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. And I'm proud to say that this show doesn't need a day to provide a platform to women or to talk to and about women's athletics. Uh, but a gentle reminder to me and others that that doesn't always happen. And even though it's good for all of us to have more people who love and appreciate sports in the fold, there are still some gatekeepers, still some walls, and still some obstacles. And the sooner we tear down all of those, we'll be better off. And personally, as a girl dad, this one leans a little bit more to me now than it used to. But don't be like me. Don't wait until it affects you personally to do the right thing. Enjoy this day and make it more than one day. Time for a break. We'll get to some of your feedback next as Tim and Friends continues on the Sportsnet family of channels. Elliot Friedman coming up, Ken Reed, some hockey, Charles Oakley. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Just chuckling at some of the responses that I'm seeing right now on Twitter to something that we put out to engage people, but we'll get to that in a flash. Talking footy, Canada and El Salvador going tonight in El Salvador. At least we think it is. <laughs> Had a little back and forth between the two. Uh, talking to James Sharman about Canada and El Salvador tonight, but the United States against Honduras Me in Minneapolis-St. Mm-hmm. Paul is also an interesting fixture in the table, not just the table standings, but because it's going to be a wee bit cold tonight in Minnesota. In fact, they're saying not only minus 20, but Arctic air with dangerously cold wind chills has settled across the region, talking minus 25, minus 30 likely, and that's Fahrenheit. Although it kind of evens up at around that point. You never want to see Arctic air. When you're no, playing. Yeah. Arctic <laughs> air like, is a bad yeah. uh, phrase when it comes to soccer. Minus 30 Fahrenheit, so minus like 35, 34 Celsius. Don't they meet at 32? Wow. Well, minus How well did 40 you do in geography meet? in class? That's not geography. Yeah, weather's geography. <laughs> no, it's not geography. Geography is like land, mass, places. Science, Science. I guess? Yeah, that's a tough look. Apparently better than you and both. I was actually really good at geography, too, which is a side story. But you mentioned the, the weather. Uh, Jeff Reuter, who uh, works with The Athletic. Capital of Thailand. Has, don't do this to me right now. Uh, he sent out a tweet saying the temperature is plummeting, obviously, in Minnesota. And uh, the face value for the tickets was around $90. And now you can get in for $43.50. Uh, to get into the lower bowl. So uh, people, oh. supporters in Minnesota, don't want nothing to do with the cold tonight. You would, you would be selling your ticket right now. No, Canadians would not be. Canadians would not be. No, you I would. Be. Oh, I, there's not a chance I'd go to this game. I would sell so quickly for 50 bucks, depending on what I bought. It You'd have originally. to bring, like, oh, I, I don't know, like, that's, that's too cold. 
Well, it was pretty, well, how cold was the snow game when Atacubi jumped into the, the pile of snow? It wasn't that wasn't cold. That cold. No. Uh, okay, so good luck to everyone playing and everyone going to that game. Uh, we were discussing uh, the Raptors earlier. Uh, Max sent in a really good tweet, which I think we should discuss. Uh, Max said, total insult, again, for Raptors, 36 and a half win games over under for the season. It was an easy bet before the season. But if you remember... Tried to tell you that. Masai, you did. No, you, we you, did. You, you, you did, did too. Been, okay, uh, I'll take credit for that. But... Um, remember Masai was talking down the season? Like, it was a development season at the beginning. He was pumping the brakes hard on the Raptors. He was like, be patient, be patient. Not anymore. Sorry, Masai. Not anymore. Well, how close are they to, like, 36 and a half wins? Like, that's yeah. a joke. I think <laughs> it's, it's kind of the last 11 years they've been over the win total in Vegas. It's crazy. Didn't you ask when you interviewed Nick Nurse Both and Bobby Webster about the over-under yeah. and how they just blow it out of the water every single year? And they both knew what it was set at, and that they had blown it out of the water each and every day. So why does that keep happening? Like, that's an indictment of Vegas' ability, ability to handicap no, no. the over-under. No, no, it's not. It's never about Vegas. It's about the people betting it. Vegas always sets the line where they hope to get people included, engaged somehow. Yeah. And sometimes they'll have to do it in a, in a circuitous route by giving you a tease line, but sometimes they just said it because Americans just don't know. And every year, we tell you that the Raptors are better than the American media is telling you. And every year, it takes a while before you say, oh, bleep, Uncle Timmy knew it again. Time for a break. <laughs> when we come back, the whirling dervish that is Ken Reed joins us in studio. For our number two, we'll talk hockey with Reed and Freak next. Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Soon Ken Reed's going to tell me the story about shaving his sideburns. Happened once. <laughs> uh, Sheepdogs, thank you very much. Back here, hour number two. Tim and friends, full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Charles Oakley telling us stories. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet ahead of Hockey Central. Kenny Reed standing by in studio. Elliot Friedman will join us in just a wee bit. But first, your news of the day about three hours from kickoff between Canada and El Salvador in San Salvador we think Canada have a chance to book a spot in the 2022 World Cup with a win and plenty of help tonight now about two hours ago El Salvador's players put out a statement saying they would not play tonight as a protest against the Federation for broken promises and unpaid bonuses but they reversed course when the Western Union came in, so the game is apparently now back on. You can catch oh. it. Sportsnet 1, pregame starting 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. Speaking of Canada, Marie-Philippe Poulain and Charles Amelin will be Canada's flag bearers at the Winter Games. Amelin has five medals in four Olympics before Beijing. Poulain enters her fourth Olympics, having won two golds, scoring the game winner in each one of those. It's quite special. It's an honor. Um, it, 
I don't know, I just, it just reminded me of my first uh, Olympic in Vancouver, uh, walking in behind Clara Hughes and seeing her with that smile and having the pride of carrying that flag. Uh, it was unbelievable. It's so much pride. Uh, it's an honor, a long shall, uh, to be honest. It's, it's unbelievable. I never said to myself, like, one day I want to be the flag bearer of, of, uh, of Canada, but for me to be here is the greatest honor of, uh, of all. And to see all the young kids uh, and being the, one of the leaders the opening ceremony goes early Friday morning in Canada, but events begin today. Canada's women's hockey team take on Switzerland as slight favorites. It's 11 p.m. Eastern tonight, while Canada's mixed doubles curling team gets underway against Great Britain. The Oilers end their first half in Washington tonight as they take on the Caps on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey right here on Sportsnet. Miko Koskinen once again will get the start for the oil, Caps will be without Alex Ovechkin, who tested positive for COVID today, and will also miss this weekend's All-Star festivities. That's convenient. Tom Wilson will take his place in Vegas. The Flames finish their first half in Arizona against the Coyotes. You can see it on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet West, 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 Mountain. The Flames are coming off a great comeback win in Dallas last night while the Coyotes pulled off a shocker. I watched both of them with Ken Reed on Sportsnet Connected last night. Snapping in the Avs 18-game home winning streak. What did I say? Connected. It's okay. I make mistakes every night on Central. <laughs> uh, biggest underdog to win since 2006. Kevin, uh, Jeff Francis has been elected to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm running out of time here because I'm laughing at how stupid I am. The Vancouver native pitched 11 seasons in the majors, mainly with the Colorado Rockies. Out of UBC will be inducted into St. Mary's in June, along with the 2020 class. And the Washington football team have their new permanent name. They will be called the Washington Commanders. Henry joins us in the studio. What's up? What's going on? So I'm just honored to be in the presence of a geography expert who doesn't know <laughs> that weather is a science. Uh, Jesse, uh, Canada's in El Salvador tonight. Can you tell me where El Salvador is? I'm, I'm not, not familiar with it. Uh, weather is part of meteorology, yes, which, which focuses on the processes of the atmosphere and is one domain of physical geography. I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't really help. There's a reason all. we're all sitting here, man. I got 44 in grade 11 <laughs> math, so it's okay. No, math was, math was not my strong suit, but geography, I mean, obviously this is tough for me to say now, but it was probably my best subject. Really? Where is El Salvador? Oh, yeah. Central America. Cool. Why, why did you, why, why did no. you pause and what, look What around? is a neighboring country of El Salvador? No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Well, why not? You just said that the go geography was... Go for, what am I? What, what, go for it. Uh, neighboring country of El Salvador. What Central is the... Okay. What is the capital of New Brunswick? I'm not doing that either. <laughs> You're a geography expert. <laughs> Fredericton. Correct. Right. Oh, you were told that by Dobby no. in his ear. No, that's... Dobby no. just admitted it. Don't, by the way, don't <laughs> use that camera up there. It shows my bald spot. <laughs> Enough of that. This is... is Look uh, at that! El Salvador bordered by Guatemala. Guatemala, yes. And Honduras? I believe so, and I know Nicaragua so. is also in the area. Answer, yeah, huh? Honduras. Yeah, Nicaragua is in the area. Home of Denny Martinez, greatest Expos pitcher. El Presidente... El Perfecto. El Perfecto. Capital of Ontario. Let me let me just say something. Capital of Ontario. You can't just come on this show. Have you not worked on the show long enough? 
and spout off about being a geography expert, expert. and then not be quizzed in geography. In grade nine. Okay. That's good. Can grade we have we have to make this a lot could. of brain cells since okay. then? Can Do we make a segment? Jesse does geography and we take his IFB out and we get him away from the computer. <laughs> yes. What are you looking at right now on the I, internet? Just you know, maps of Central America. Okay. <laughs> You, so what did it, you say, Guatemala? Look, there's his computer. <laughs> he, he didn't amazing. even get El Salvador yet. <laughs> so what happened here for the folks at home? El Salvador's the purple one. We have control over his computer, <laughs> and the folks behind the scenes pulled up his computer so Ken and I could see the map of Central America that he pulled up in order to answer okay, these questions. Okay, can we ask him one legit geography no, no, question? No, well, no, we should have a Jeopardy, we have a Jeopardy game. What would you like to say? I don't say anything. Were you going to say something oh, I was about... Just, I, was, I was just going to congratulate you. You said Guatemala, did you not? Yes, I said Guatemala Why don't you, was Well done. Movie. Well done. That's all and I was going to say. Honduras. Yeah. That's it? Just Nicaragua. Two? Nicaragua. Okay. Hold on. We, we just named the three bordering countries Impressive. while you sat there, your geography expert, and looked it up. Well, I, I do have to say, you just got here, Kenny, so... Yes. There is a chance you looked at a map before you walked in. I knew that because Ivanka went to her honeymoon in Belize where she smoked way too many cigarettes. So I had to look up Belize <laughs> once and I, I, I studied the region. Now, I'm gonna, you're the host. I want to be producer. Can, can we, at some time in the next hour, make a, a five-question geography quiz for Jesse and I and see who wins? <laughs> I would Go love to do that. Uh, for those who remember, and I know that you guys don't watch our show before you're on the show. Or oh, I do, because I, I, I'm hoping you might say my name. But on my birthday. <laughs> or mispronounced Shubanakity. On my birthday last year, uh, Sixero called one of my teachers from high school. It was my grade nine geography teacher, mm, Mr. Duros. And uh, I told the story about how, uh, because of the mark that he gave me, I won the geography award. And he said to me after I won the geography award, you were just supposed to get a good mark. You weren't supposed to win the bleeping award. <laughs> wow. wow. He's, he's not involved in this trivia. Those were in the that. days where you had to earn your awards, kids. There were no participation <laughs> trophies back then. <laughs> there was only a select few winners. What, so your best subject was geography? Yours, One of my best. Yeah. Your, what was your best subject, Jesse? Please don't say geography. I'm going to be concerned. I don't know. I guess gym. <laughs> but, so, honest answer. History. History buff, eh? Well, not a buff. It was just my best subject. <laughs> what does that mean? The teacher. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think 88 qualifies you as a buff. But, 88's a good mark. Oh, at Picto Academy, they said, oh, we grade uh, very strictly, and the, the universities will notice that, and they mark you up by 20 points if you come for Picto Academy. They did grade strictly. The universities didn't notice that. The universities didn't care. I didn't need high school. 88's right. pretty good. Yeah, not bad. It's 108 at any other school. Going <laughs> to pick the academy logic. Uh, what's catching your eye these days? Lots. Um, you know what? I, I got lots on my mind. I don't understand why the Winnipeg Jets suck, and I don't understand why more people don't talk about it. Like, it's just a mystery to me. And, and Elliot had something in 32 Thoughts I noticed. But even last night on the air, I, after they lost to Philly, I, I blurted out, I don't understand the Jets. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why Gary Bettman just won't give up on phoenix as a market i mean can you imagine if you play junior for say the london knights or the halifax mooseheads you're in the playoffs you have nine thousand people at your game you get drafted <laughs> and by arizona you skate out you, you somehow make the team as an 18 year old you skate out for your first game in the national hockey league and you're on a college campus and there's 2700 people in the ring this is a joke and it needs to stop not that you care what i think 
Um, I'm gonna look for a story. I do care, and I wanted to. Um, he's looking up South America. Yeah, he's definitely googling <laughs> history <laughs> questions. Gary Bettman. I want to get the direct quote. After meeting with the folks in Quebec City, said there were no opportunities <gasps> for them right now right. in the National Hockey League. And then a week later, Jesse tells me they're going to play at ASU, where the rumor is between. 3,500 and 5,000 seats. And the best part is they don't even have another stadium. So there's no next step beyond Tempe. And like this 5,000 idea Mm -hmm. that ASU's stadium, which isn't done itself, Mm -hmm. is a rumor. And it might actually be 3,500 that they'll be playing in front of a capacity of 3,500 in Arizona. Can you I imagine the rink board ads at, at the at the Coyotes games in Tempe? You know, join the University Patchouli Club. Smoke weed, call 581 blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, come on, man. You can't put an NHL team in a 5,000-seat university rink. Why and, are they holding on to it? Because Gary Bettman wanted the market. It's his thing, man. And I quote, We explained that while we were appreciative and flattered by the interest expressed, unfortunately, we are not aware of any opportunity that could address that interest at the current time. Just do it. Move them overnight like they did with the Thrashers and the Jets. Just get it done. Can you? And if I'm an NHL player and I'm paying my escrow, and I know escrow is boring to talk about, but think about escrow is they're taking money away from you. Yeah, and then you're saying, okay, 50-50 hockey-related revenue. You got me playing at a, at a college hockey rink and not even a jewel of a college hockey rink, a 5,000-seat hockey rink with benches in the stands? Yeah. Come on. This ain't the Compton Ice Blacks at uh, no, this Notre is Dame. The, this, like, it has like that 70s minor hockey vibe to it. Remember when teams would just always move in the WHA and they'd always move in those lower leagues? It has that kind of vibe to it. No opportunity at this time. Uh, after the break, we class it up a little bit. Elliot Friedman will join us to discuss yeah. his 32 thoughts. Yes, I heard. Uh, could the Canucks be willing to betray some of those big names? I mean, I don't know if I, don't tell Elliot, but I listened to his podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Connor Garland. Miller. J.T. Miller out there. Also, is Bo Horvat's name out there? Oh, I hope not. We'll discuss. Coming up. Elliot Freeman. Ken Reed. Tim and Friends with Ken Reed, or as Anthony Fresina says, tweeting in, recess. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what's going on wow. right here they had, with uh, Ken Reed. They had recess for Anthony in grade 12? <laughs> Think you got that far? Anthony? Yeah. Oh, Anthony's a long time. His spelling's you, very you, good. You know what? <laughs> you mess with Anthony, you mess with me. Careful, Ken Reed. Well, let's, right. well, let's rock, Anthony. It's the final <laughs> night of the NHL's unofficial first half coming up on Scotiabank. Wednesday night hockey, we got the Oilers taking on the Caps and watching. If there weren't COVID protocols, you and I, Kenny, oh, right now. Yeah, that's right. That's the only thing that keeps <laughs> us from going. That's the only thing. Uh, it's across the country on Sportsnet. Later, last the night. Flames, very good win last night. They're on uh, to face the Coyotes on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet West. All right, back here alongside Kenny Reed, and it's time for 3 of 32 with a good friend, Elliot Friedman. 3 of 32 is brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup in Frege. We hear you're on the road. Is this correct? This is correct, and I would like to say that this is all Ryan Leslie and Eric Francis's fault. <laughs> I knew that I had this hit at 6.15 Eastern time today, but they said, look, we can only go out for an early dinner because they have Calgary, Arizona tonight, and they literally forced me 
at gunpoint mm-hmm. to go out with them and miss the hit on camera. Well, so it's their fault. I guess my follow-up is, does meeting at a hot dog stand qualify for dinner? Because <laughs> <laughs> if Ryan was paying, for me. yeah, if Ryan was paying, that's where you went. I'm convinced Freed just knew he'd use his headshot if he wasn't oh, on camera. such a good headshot. Oh, yes, man. I like that headshot. Oh, I like that. It's the best I've ever looked, Tim. There's no question about you, it. I think you look regal. You look regal in that headshot. That's well, the word I Well, that's I the headshot. I'm talking about no, the, three the, the, regal the three of 32 three of 32 headshots. The one beside Kenny regal. Reed over there. I'm fancy, getting fancy. the trophy out of your way here, too, because that's a very regal <laughs> headshot. So, Freege, uh, I, I don't want to admit this, but I was listening to the uh, 32, po- 32 Thoughts podcast with yourself, <laughs> Jeff Merrick, but I couldn't believe how much talk there is around the trade deadline in the NHL and maybe even more specifically what they're going to do in Vancouver. How much of this is just the regular people trying to figure out what's going on and how much of it is Jim Rutherford in Vancouver could make some major changes? I think it's B. um, I would say this. I think it's a little of column A. I think it's a lot of column B. You know, Jim Rutherford earns his reputation, honestly. Uh, Tim, he, he likes to make moves. He's it's from the old school of, you know what, uh, like I was talking to David Paul yesterday, and he admitted, and he's been around a while, he loves the buzz of the trade deadline. And I think some of the people do. I think especially the ones who've been around a long time when before the cap and your team wasn't going well, you could, you could trade somebody for a third-round draft pick or something like that just to get things going. It's obviously a lot more difficult now, but... Look, Jim Rutherford said when he got into Vancouver, he was going to take a little bit of time, and he probably wasn't going to do anything until around the end of January. And you can't call him a liar. It's the end of January, and the news is starting to hit. And I think he's trying to figure out here and there, uh, you know, what he's going to do. And, um, you know, any doubt I had that what I was talking about on Saturday night was right ended when Stan Smil came on Hometown Hockey on Monday and basically said, look, we've got to clear up some cab space and we've got to make some tough decisions. So that, what I think Vancouver's done is they've got some of their players out there. They're going to see where it goes. And I, I do think whether it's sooner or later, uh, he's going to be up to some stuff. Can we speculate on names right now? Well, look, I, I think the Miller thing is, like, I think, like, look, there's interest in Miller and, and you know, the Rangers are kind of leading the way on that, but I... I don't think they're the only ones. And I think Vancouver has at least looked at it like, okay, if we wanted to keep you, because he's been a really good player for them, what's it going to take? So I think they're sort of like pulling and pushing. You know, Garland is a name I put out there. He's got a, he's got a decent contract. He's a good player. At least, you know, with Miller, you've got to sign him in a year. With, with uh, Besser, you've got a qualifying offer this summer. Um, you know, at least with Garland, you know what the number is and you know what it is for term. But I think it's a lot of the names you would expect. I, I think the, the, the only guys they're not talking about are, are Demko, uh, Hughes, uh, Pedersen, although there's a lot of frustration with Pedersen, Ken, and, and uh, Horvat. I haven't heard his name either. It's funny because uh, if, if Horvat's name does come out, Frege, does that tell us anything about where they're going here? I don't think they want to completely tear it down, Tim. Right. I think what they want to do is they want to create some room. And, you know, the, the tough thing, you know, it's, you know, 
I was when I was talking to Rob Blake yesterday, you know, he was talking about last year. You know, they trade Jeff Carter. They're they're moving some pieces out, and you know, eventually your players start to say, "Are we going to keep anybody?" And your fans start to say it too. You've got to give your fans a reason to show up at the game, and you know that was one of the reasons why they kept Iafalo in in L.A. You know, they they really wanted to keep something and try to do build something. Like to me, with with Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat this year for for as, as bad as Vancouver started, he was in the conversation for the Canadian Olympic team. Now that says to me two things. He's really respected as a player, and also if you trade him, and it means people would want him, like you know how hard it is to find centers, Tim. It's impossible. Yeah. And if you if you trade him, you know how hard you're going to be looking to find. Oh man, we need Bo Horvat. We just traded him, but you know what? We need him again. And I would be surprised. I I really would. All right, Elliot, I, I got I to get onto this team that's just a mystery to me. So I think the Winnipeg Jets need to send the Edmonton Oilers just an awesome gift basket because the Oilers went through that horrible stretch of December and January where they just stunk. And we all forgot that the Winnipeg Jets are just such an underachieving team. So they beat St. Louis the other night. I go, okay, that's a nice win. Yeah, maybe they'll, turn, maybe yeah. they'll turn it around. And then last night they lose to Philly. And on the air, I just blurted out, I just don't understand the Winnipeg Jets. Can you help me understand the Winnipeg Jets? Now, are we talking about a Derek Jeter gift basket, or what are we talking about? Here? <laughs> well, I mean, that, those are, well, I don't know get into that. Not, nothing wrong uh, with an autographed baseball. We're, we're all happily way. married. Yeah, we're all happily that's right. married. Uh, you, know, you know what I would say is that, um, you know, I, I, I just think that the Winnipeg Jets, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, Tim, and it's your show, so you can tell me if I was wrong to say it. But like when when you played against the Jets a couple of years ago, they were a bunch of pricks. You can say it. You know they, you know they really were. Like even like, whether you won a series against them or you lost a series to them, you know they they were hard, hard, hard team to play against. Really hard team to play against. And even last year in that in that first series against Edmonton. They were a really hard team to play against. I don't know why, Ken. Like, like I know you were a pretty decent player, Tim. I know you were a very decent player. Like, you knew if you were soft or you were strong. And this year, the Jets, they've had a lot of nights where they haven't looked very hard to play against. And I, I can't believe it. I, I really thought if, if, if Winnipeg was going to have issues... And I'm one of the people who picked them as the best team in Canada. I looked that up I, before we came on, and I would have been right, right there with you. Seriously, I'd have been right there with you. Their, their, their identity, it's, it's gone right now. And, you know, I, you know, I, I wonder about, like, you know, Bufflin. I really think the Bufflin retirement, the premature retirement, changed the course of the franchise and not in a good way. Mm. But i got to tell you, like, honestly, like, when you used to play Winnipeg, one of the things I loved watching about their games, Ken, was – you had to earn every inch of ice you got against them. It's missing right and now. And they were that, fun to watch, too. Right? They, not, were, they were great yeah, to watch. Yeah. It's missing. And, and they still have tough guys. Like, Wheeler's, Wheeler's a tough guy. Dubois is a tough guy. You know, Shifley's a tough guy. But they're at their best anyway. They're just, they're just not, they're not that anymore. They've lost that identity. And, like, to me, like, 
even when you're having a bad night, you can still run over people. Yep. Like, yeah. That doesn't still get Still make your presence felt. Yeah. yeah, and it's not there. Like, and, I, I don't. I don't see it. No, and they, and they have a head coach now who used to play that way. I mean, right. Dave Lowry, if he was, you know, he was on that 04 Flames team. If they were losing in the playoff game, they, they'd let, you know, they'd make a statement. They knew, they'd let me know you're there, as they'd say, you know. Less, less than 60 seconds left, Freege, and, and I know you can use the word pricks, but try to avoid using the adjective hard repeatedly after using that word. Um, so, so is there change coming in Winnipeg, or will they use the offseason to determine what they're going to do? Well, I think the short term, you know, this year they went into it with Andrew Kopp and they said, you know what, we're going for it this year, so we're going to keep Andrew Kopp. If they're out of the playoff race, they move him and they probably move Stasny unless he's signing an extension. So I think we get that closer to the deadline. Like the big decisions, I think they come in the off season, but they probably do their rentals now unless it turns around. Free, choose the one team we need to keep an eye on for this deadline. I think I think Vancouver's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. I think Seattle's going to be an interesting one. And I, I think for teams going the other way, like teams adding, I think Toronto and Calgary are going to be – like Calgary's got to add a score and Toronto's got to add a D. And I, and I think both those teams will do it. Appreciate you as always. And uh, how bad's the rain and or snow? Because we've heard the wipers the entire time. It's it's not bad yet, Good. but it's supposed to get bad yeah. soon. So, like I said, this is all Leslie and Francis's fault. They're bad influences. Anything for a free hot dog, that guy. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Freach. See you, Freach. All right, take care, guys. Uh, Calgary and Toronto among the teams that may or may not add. Ben Sherratt makes sense in Toronto. Uh, the you know what's funny because I was watching Calgary the other night, um, final minute. One goal lead, and Eric Branson's just being a man down low. He's just freezing the puck along the boards. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's what the, the Leafs need on defense. They need a good Branson. But I'm like, but the Flames have a good Branson. They, that, why would you get rid of a good Branson? There's only, to me, remember we used to say there's only, you know, 10 or 12 number one defensemen in the NHL? Yeah. There's not a lot of big, steady, stay-at-home guys anymore. Not, not anymore. No. Not anymore. By the way, uh, the analytics guys love good Branson. Real, real really? big favorite among the well, analytics we've, guys. We've come together finally, the <laughs> analytics guys. I'm, I'm being somewhat sarcastic. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, time for <laughs> Nerds! Our, you stick around to the end? I've got nothing Because I think we do. might have a geography quiz coming for last call here on Tim and awesome. Friends. Awesome. Oh, I'm going against an expert. <laughs> we got to send it to Scotiabank <laughs> Wednesday night hockey on Sportsnet. Carolyn Cameron, Justin Bourne, analytics Anthony guy. Stewart, all standing by. As for us, Kenny is going to put his feet up for a bick. And be back for last call. Because after the break, Sportsnet 360, conversation from a little earlier today, myself and the legend Charles Oakley, back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360 with Oak. The rest of you, enjoy Hockey Central. Welcome back. I'm going to be honest. We get offered a lot of dudes who have written a book, but it's not often that I am as excited to speak to those authors as I am this time around. It's also not often that those authors are Charles Oakley. For the kids who might not remember, the man known as Oak played in the NBA for parts of 19 seasons, a few with the Raptors, enough to be loved by Raptor fans. Uh, He would hit an open jumper, he would hit you with a behind-the-back pass, and he would also just hit you. 
He remains one of the best examples of the 80s and 90s NBA, which that point stood for no babies allowed. Man, they don't make them like this anymore. Charles Oakley joins us once again to discuss his stories, his view on the game, and his book, The Last Enforcer. Thank you for coming yes. on, Oak, and doing this. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, what, what made you say yes to doing a book? It was time, you know. Been doing a lot of podcasts and thinking about life and, you know, stuff, you know, growing up and, you know, just all the conversation, you know, you hear these days about this and that, the 80s and 90s. And I thought that, uh, you know, once I, you know, the pandemic, you know, towards the end. Right. Um, just say, hey, it's the time, you know, gives people something healthy, you know. Um, it's like therapy. You read this book, you'll be like, Wow. All this stuff isn't here. We've been missing out all of this. They're like going to the Grammy or something. But uh, <laughs> this book is really exciting. So did you enjoy the process of putting it together, like going through the memory banks and, and coming up with right. the stories? Yeah, memory banks. Um, in this book, you'll see a lot of stories that you'd be like, okay, wow, we, we should have been heard this. But, you know, putting it together, man, Frank, uh, a lot of time and effort, uh, long conversation, short conversation, we just dived into it, and when we had a chance to talk, we did a, you know, we just put our heart into it, and he was a beat writer, so he knew some of the things, you know, about me, so it went real easy. Nice. Um, you say there's stories in the book. Not all the stories are in the book, are they, Charlie? Like, you got enough for another book? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. I already got about 20 more for the next book, but, uh, <laughs> but these stories here in the book, yeah. hey. Don't don't be drinking wine and reading this book. You might waste wine <laughs> on you yourself. Might, you might spit it up. You might spill oh, it all no over. Doubt. Oh, what was it like to get Michael Jordan to write the foreword? Uh, I've been a friend since '85. Um, it was it wasn't hard. It was just a phone call, and you know, and we had talked about it. And who's gonna do the foreword? Did I? You know, we came up with three or four names. I said I'm gonna call the goat, and he answered. He said, okay, when? Give me about a week. I'll have it back to you. And that was it. He didn't ask for a book or nothing. He just said, give me a week. That's awesome. It seems like we saw Drake posting his Instagrams today. It feels like, right. Oak, you took care of a lot of dudes in your time in the NBA, and some of those dudes are taking care of you. If folks are wondering uh, what this book might sound or look like, look no further than Chapter 1. And I'm just going to read uh, from the book in front of you. Knocking out a jackass. First line, chapter one, I did not punch Charles Barkley. That sounds like a good start to a book, Oak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they say you, when you come, get people attention. And I think this um, this first chapter will get your attention. But I think all the chapters in the book going to get your attention. So it's just something to make you put your seatbelt on and let you know that, hey, I might need it on for real. <laughs> I, I I study this ish, like how it works, when it works well. And I've done some some time with Alvin Williams, who you played with in Toronto. Um, right. You know, we've traveled, done some games together. And we talked a couple of times about your impact on the team. And while a lot of folks talk about the toughness, there was also an accountability that you brought to the locker room that dudes couldn't right. get away with bull ish when you were there did you see that as part of your role with teams uh like you know i was a big brother you know big brother i would take care of the little brother but 
Yes, that's why I put in my mind, you know, my on these teams, like, hey, I'm I got all my guys back and whatever on off the court, if you with me, I'm definitely with you. And I mean, you need that structure. And you how you build chemistry, leadership and you know, like I said, in Toronto, we can't when we got there, making the playoff uh two of my three years, but we built something. We built the character there. And um when no team just gonna come in there and bully us and knock us around without us getting it back in their face. And um, for us, the guys on the team, you know, in this book, I tell you how much that I always love my teammates. And, you know, um, it's just, you know, I'm going to take care of them. Let's take care of playing the ball on the court together. I got you. Like Vincent Tracy, I told him, I got you. Does today's NBA need more of that, Oak? Um, it's a different ball game, so it's hard. You just got to adjust and see what's going on. It don't need. Um, I don't know if it's needed. I think we just need more teams with identity for us. Everybody can't be a three-point shooting team. Get your own style, but it's a copycat league. So, in the book, I talk a little about you know when we was in the playoff with the Bulls, the Pacers, and stuff like that. It's a whole different ball game. But like I said, things change in life. So they playing the three-point game. We play the two-point game. Yeah, my pops always says it's a pendulum, Oak, where it shifts back and forth. Eventually, we might get back to the to the game that you and I grew up with and the game that, that I love. Um, you're, listen, everyone knows that you're a Knicks legend. People in Toronto absolutely love you. They love what you brought to the Raptors and how you helped change right. the culture in Toronto. But in New York, you're an absolute legend. And... The diehards love you. They hide your back right. with, in your running with the with owner James Dolan. What's your yeah. relationship with the team like these days? Well, you know, in the book I talk about that. It's it's not good like it was when I first got here. We know I had a running with the owner. Um, it's still in court right now. Uh, we just haven't figured everything out. Hopefully, you know, this summer will be a great summer that we can revisit the conversation right. with, you know, his side, my side, and we can get something. Let's get this to an end and go on with life. Does it piss you off that you're not a part of that culture right now? I mean, I see my guys from time to time, but I miss, you know, in New York, it's about the fans. When they come out and cheer for you and um, you go play hard as you can and show them, you really respect them for coming out, showing love, and you got to go on the court and show them that you can be consistent at night in and night out, and, and that's the way I played in New York, and you know, in the book, I really, you know, that's one thing I talk about. I miss the fans. Right, right. The fans are legendary at MSG. That's why they call it the Mecca. We're talking about leadership and what you brought to the Raptors. Mm-hmm. How much do you think the Knicks' leadership has to do with this franchise maybe not being able to get back to those glory days? Well, I mean, I think leadership, you have to have some leadership on your team. You have to have leadership in, in the front office. And you, and you got to hold both for accountable, you know, on the court. And upstairs too. When that when that don't work, it's not gonna work on the floor. And you know, in the book, we talk about you know some things about leadership. And no matter how much money you got, leadership is an important thing in in life, not just sports. We mentioned that you're beloved uh, in the Toronto area and among Raptor fans in Canada. Do you know why you're beloved in Canada? Like, do you understand why the love still remains years later? Well, you know, I came there. And I showed the fans and the people in the city that, you know, come with a lot of heart, play with a lot of heart, and show a lot of love. And when they see you doing that, the three years I was there, 
And, you know, and seeing every year I told him when I first got there, we'll get better. I mean, you got better every year. And, you know, once you get, when you mention something, you got to bag it up. I think I backed it up. I wasn't a 20 and 10 guy, but on the court, I played like I was 30, a 30 and 20 guy because I did everything on the floor to make us win every night. Yes, it did. Uh, Raptor fans remember the Tyrone Hill incident or incidents, if you will. You've had some pretty memorable run-ins. Where does slapping him in the preseason and then hitting him with a ball in the pregame rank among the stories <laughs> in the book? Uh, it's, it's, it rank up there. It's, <laughs> it's, um, there's a couple other stories about him in this book. Uh, it's just, you know, it's basically in this book, if you engage with me and if I didn't shake your hand and next time I see you, it's a problem. So you in this book. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's love with the conversation, but it's a story. That's why news come on different channels because they got to outdo the other channels. So this story here is outdoing a lot of stories that people never heard before, but it's good stories, though. It's like, you know, wow, I'm not bullying nobody, just good conversation. I grew up with some dudes. I'm not going to say I grew up with dudes like Oak, but I find it funny, amusing to me, that you prefer sometimes the open hand slap. You said you didn't punch Charles Barkley. Uh, Tyrone Hill got an open hand. What What is it about the slap that you enjoy? Well, if you go to court of law, it's a different type of fine. <laughs> a punch and a smack, you know, a smack is mean that uh, next time it could be something else. With a punch, to me, it's over. So, you know, I ain't trying to hurt nobody. I'm just trying to get their attention let them know that don't mess with me. Right, that you're going to be there all game. You're going to be there oh, all, yeah. no matter what. Oak's not going away. No, I'm like that fly in the room. You've got to keep ducking. <laughs> uh, a lot of folks <laughs> talking about that Raptors team and what you guys were and what you could have been. Um, could right. they or should they have been better? Uh, I mean, it was young. I think that we got, you know, if Tracy would stay and Vince at the same time, the duel, that was been that been scary. But they only played one year together, so it take time to grow. And I think Vince, you know, went on had a great career. Um, he went to the final twice in Brooklyn. And, you know, Vince, Vince had a good run. Vince was incredible. I and mean, he brought basketball to Canada. And I think a lot of kids started playing basketball in Canada because of Vince. And Vince Sandy, I mean, he put him on the map. Yeah. I give him that. Drake, other people put him on the map. But for his basketball, you got to go Vince to Carter. Um, Kawhi Leonard got there. You know, he really put the stamp on him. He gave that championship ring. And um, and that's what, you know, I'm glad to see them get their ring. You know, Larry Donner and the group, they deserve it because it's a great organization. Hey, before I let you go, last time you were in the studio, uh, you were talking about us, talking to us about your joy of cooking, and right. uh, we cut, we kind of settled in, talked about what you were making, and then I read in some of the notes, did you cook for Oprah? Well, at an event, yes, in <laughs> Chicago. I mean, uh, Chicago, and they were, at the, you know, she was at the party, but yeah, her and Stephanie have a foundation in Chicago. I cooked one time; I had a broken arm. I made 500 turkey burgers on the golf course. Everybody always talk about my turkey burgers, but people love turkey burgers with sauteed onion and mushroom. But he had an event for many years in Chicago, and I was part of that. And Oprah was showing up and, you know, supporting him. 
But, uh, you know, I just like to give back. That's something in the book. I talk about how many charities I, you know, involved with over the years. And, you know, um, it's just a love for people. Uh, before I let you go, um, when people pick up this book and, and they start leafing through it, and you said this to me before we started the interview, you're like, have you read the book yet? And I said, I, I leafed through it. I got some notes. I, I, I highlighted some things. And you're like, well, wait till you read it. What, what's the one part that you want to get across in uh, this book, Last Enforcer, Outrageous Stories from the Life and Times of One of the NBA's Fiercest Competitors? Well, you know, it's like it's like an NBA four quarters. So the book got some all the way through. But it's like um, I try to express, you know, where I got some of my toughness and you know, the, my competitive inside of me is for my grandfather being tough and rough and caring, you know, having eight kids and coming through life. And, you know, me just growing up in the city, had to go through it, you know, seeing the drugs and people's in the corner and going to college and wasn't easy. Um, NBA wasn't easy. It just, I just want to see them like me in different places at different parts of my life and how consistent I've been with, with my life. Uh, listen, you're always consistent when you come on this show. Always fun talking to you, whether it's basketball, whether it's cooking, whether it's charity, or whether it's a story about a preseason game and balls flying across the court. I always appreciate <laughs> you dropping by and doing this, Oak. Thank you. I appreciate it. You'll be calling me back in about three or four months. We got, some, we got something else coming out of the closet, too. I, uh, I, like, I like the sounds of that, Oak. Be well, stay well, and we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Charles Oakley. Time for one last break. We'll bring Kenny and Jesse back in the fold with Last Call. And kids, we learn from Oak. We're not just talking, we're doing next. <laughs> this is Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe, Ken Reed. Jesse Rubinoff, and for those just joining us, we had a bit of an argument surrounding weather and geography <laughs> about an hour ago. The gloves were dropped, and as we learned from Charles Oakley in that last interview, we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. So Ken Reed, who challenged Jesse Rubinoff to a geography quiz after Jesse Rubinoff said that geography was indeed, and tell me if I'm <laughs> quoting you wrong, Jesse, your best subject. That's correct. After he said weather is geography. That's we also have come correct. up with a geography quiz. My hands are sweaty. To pit Ken Reed. I don't care. Against Jesse Rubinoff. Can Jesse close his computer for this quiz, Rolling please? Rolling up the sleeves. Just a request. I can, I, I can do that. Let's play the game. I'll do that. What do you mean? I can do that. I'll do it. No, no, you have to okay, do, do that. Search okay. him for, for devices. Can I, I have given each okay? one of our contestants <laughs> a piece of paper that they have in front of them. They will write their answers down on said piece of paper. And when I ask to reveal, you will reveal your answers. Kids, feel free to play along at home. But remember, this is for entertainment purposes only. Please. What's the category? No wagering. Geography is the category. <laughs> I don't know if you heard the entire conversation. Geography is the category. No history. He said he was good at that. We'll start with the capital of Thailand. I'm kidding. Oh, That's I a joke. We, were... <laughs> we had a little earlier on in the show. All right. What is the capital of the province of Saskatchewan? Ken Reed. Jesse Rubinoff. Ken, don't reveal yet. 
What if he doesn't know it? You put it up, he sees it. Anyway, he didn't see it. It's fine. All right. Okay. Gentlemen, please reveal your answers. Both have Regina. Although you can hardly see that. Regina. And that is indeed correct. One point apiece. Oh, what a start. Yeah, he's up. He's up. We're going easy to start here. Like, relax. So take your win. Ken Reed, Jesse Rubinoff. What is the longest river in the world? In the world? The longest river in the world. In the world. (laughs) This shouldn't be that hard. Hey, geography buff. This is in the easy category. In the world? (laughs) Ken wrote it down. It's over. The world. We've got about 10 seconds left here. This is, I gotta, this is people are gonna laugh. At Got an eight-minute segment here. I don't have an. I don't have an answer. I believe the answer is Jesse's expertise. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh at right, but this, this is, what, is what? Jesse's expertise denial. is denial. in denial. <laughs> but you both got it right. Do I get oh, two oh, points? Do I get bonus points for getting it within three seconds and not asking 14 times? Oh the question? my! I thought God. that one. No, I thought that one was like a trick. That was a trick question. But <laughs> said we're starting. He's tied at two. <laughs> Kenny Reed and Jesse Rubinoff. In this, the first ever Tim and Friends <laughs> geography I'm quiz. I'm on medication. I feel nothing. <laughs> question number three. What is the largest state? In the United States of America. By landmass? By landmass. By landmass. I'm not that sure of this one. Largest state in the United States of America by landmass. This is actually, I think. Kids playing a long trick at question. home. I changed this my This is actually answer. a trick question. Okay. Is it a trick I, question? I think it is. Ken says Alaska. Jesse says Alaska. How is that a trick question? You're both right. How is that a trick question? I know Texas is pretty big. People don't think about Alaska all so the time. So that's not a trick question. Florida's it's big too. It's just the right answer. answer. Okay. Here, see the sad kick. <laughs> Feeling good right now. All right. I like it. Can we get a difficult one so I can move? No, ahead? I started easy. Jesse, Ken, it's the capital of Poland. Jesse is unnecessarily dramatic about all this, unless he's looking at you writing your answer. He might be. He might be, because he's... Hey, is that a computer he has in front of him there, too, that mini thing? He's stopped and paused each time, and then he's come up with the right answer. What if he writes Poland Springs? All right, please reveal your answer. Warsaw? Look at this again, both. What about Jesse? Correct. (laughs) Four for four. Listen, We're going if this was real wire. Jeopardy, though, I'd beat him to the buzzer every time. Oh, that's, every that's, time. That's true, but every unfortunately time. for you, this is not right, real we're Jeopardy. Moving up, we're moving go. up to the $400 question. Actually, this is a $400. What's the smallest country in the world? Landmass. Landmass? <laughs> Landmass? I don't even know if this is the name of the country, but I'm going to write it down anyway. Yeah, you both got it. The no! Vatican City is correct. Ken Reed takes a lead. Maldives. Yeah, no, I got that now, but that's uh, Maldives. Is it Maldives or Maldives? (laughs) Linguistics was another one of Jesse's best subjects. You might get a chance here, Kenny. 5-4 lead. Jesse Kenny, what is the capital of New York State? State Again, takes mere seconds. New York. I'm in. I don't know the answer to this. State capital of New York. Don't try to read through my paper. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. 
Ken says Albany. Jesse says Albany. Oh, nice pull, Jesse. Right. Good pull, Jesse. Are you, hold on. Is someone telling you these things? No. Don't your eye at me. Get your eye at me out. You've been waiting no. every time. No. No. Pull your eye at me. No, them. leave it out. Dobby, tell leave, them. Leave it out. Part of the I need him to confirm that I'm not getting fed these answers. Wow. Ugh. This is like wrestling. He's cheating. He has a foreign object. He's the Cuban assassin. 6-5. trivia. We're getting harder. It takes me a little longer. Three states border California. Name them. Name the three states that border the state of California. Ken with a one-point lead on Jesse as we turn down the stretch in this, the first ever. That's not right. Tim and friends. Don't show Kenny, please. I am going to give a point for each one of the correct answers. That way, Ugh. Jesse could actually take a lead if, in fact, he got them right. Again, there Jesse, should be a time limit speed on it up. I'm, this is I'm wrong. enforcing this time limit. This is wrong. I'm enforcing Come on. It. Less than a minute, Jesse. Wrong. It's less than a minute in the show. There's that three states. It looks like you have four written. I have three, and they're okay. all wrong. I think. Jesse, go. reveal your three. I said Oregon, Nevada, Utah, which is so wrong. Oregon, oh, Nevada, Utah. You have just collected two out of a possible three points. Utah, incorrect. Ken Reed, reveal your answers. Oregon, Nevada, Arizona. Three out of three, Kenny Reed takes an insurmountable lead. Insurmountable? If you get this you worth five points, what is the longest freshwater? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Beach? You can't make the last question worth five if I'm perfect so far. We got 15 seconds worth left. Like a man. This is my. What is the longest freshwater commercial? beach in the world? The end of the show? Longest freshwater beach in the world? Freshwater beach? Longest freshwater beach in the world. Freshwater beach? I have no idea. I'm gonna do the Ten seconds. I'm gonna do the Jesse move. The longest freshwater beach. Five, four, freshwater three, freshwater beach. Freshwater beach. Somewhere in Jamaica. Jonas Valanciunas' favorite beach was Sega Beach. Coco Beach, Pecto Nova Scotia. Kenny Reed's your winner, everybody. Yeah. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Experts.